Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of Thursday Night Tailgate on the Leatherheads of the Gridiron Pod National Podcasting Network. I'm your host and special moderator for today's special event, which is being sponsored by Jockupation.com and founder and CEO, former Pittsburgh Steelers defensive back, Mr. Ainsley Battles. Today's conversation is titled The Transition, an informal conversation with a lot of athletes from college and the professional ranks to talk about how they dealt with the transition to life after the game. Before we begin, we want to thank a couple of great organizations for their help in making this event possible. First are the great people here at Prime Restaurant in uh, Buckhead, Atlanta, uh, who provided us with these, these wonderful accommodations, and we want to thank Mark Pinsky and his staff for all the things that they have done to make this event possible. If you live in Atlanta, please check it out. We'd also like to recognize an outstanding mentoring organization, SCORE, and uh, before long we're going to have Jeff Mesquina and uh, Andy Welchuk from SCORE talk to us about how they can help your small businesses. But to kick things off, I want to introduce Mr. Ainsley Battles. Ainsley was a four-year letterman and graduate of Vanderbilt University. He played four seasons in the NFL, two in Pittsburgh and two in Jacksonville. He's now an educator and a coach here in the Atlanta metro area and, as I mentioned, CEO and founder of Jockupation. Ainsley, why don't you give everyone an idea of what we're doing today and introduce everyone that's here. Very good. Yeah, thanks. Chris, thank you for uh, moderating our event. And again, thanks to Prime, uh, Mark Pinsky. Um, the staff here has been exemplary. Um, what we're doing today is actually just having an impromptu roundtable discussion about the transition. Uh, a little about myself, uh, playing professionally, I actually got hurt, and that's what ended my career. And being hurt, not really knowing what that next step in life was. And then uh, during that time, it was, a, it was just an age of discovery for myself, learning. I had skills that could translate into the business world, but nobody really saw that those skills were transferable. So during that time of really darkness and not knowing was actually a, a time of um, opportunity. And this is where Jockupation actually came about. Uh, the word Jockupation is actually a noun, and it means the match of an athlete's education, knowledge, and experience into a comparative career field. Because playing sports instills in us certain transferable skills that you just cannot get unless you play the sport. Everybody sitting at this table, I want to first thank every single person sitting here. Because this company, this is just thought, this concept, these guys sitting here are really helping bring it to life. And with current events going on, and just the nature of people, uh, the nature of sports today, there's obviously an incredible need for this. So I um, want to first just thank everybody for being here. Definitely thank Thursday Night Tailgate. And just want to kind of pass around the table, just have everybody introduce themselves. Uh, I'll start. My name is Ainsley Battles. I uh, graduated from Vanderbilt University, played four years professionally. Uh, my career ended when I tore my hamstring. First game of the 2004 season, the fourth quarter. Completely tore my left hamstring from my pelvis, 18-month rehab. And after that, career was done. There's no more phone calls, no more anything. Um, and I just feel like everybody at the table, we all have a great story to tell. Um, pass it to my left. Yes, my name is Lamont Turner. First of all, Angie, thank you for the opportunity to join you and your peers. And i say my sport was football, and I actually graduated from Vanderbilt in 1999. 
and I actually became a free agent with the Cleveland Browns, and I got cut and I got released, and I found myself in a very similar transition that we all had to do once our playing career is over. And for me, I had to actually, instead of playing for a football scoreboard, I had to actually play on the life scoreboard. So I had to recalibrate my whole mentality and approach to my daily activities, which is why partially I wrote the book, Winning Beyond the Scoreboard, which we all have to do. We have to learn how to win in a different scoreboard. And I actually ended up becoming a medical sales representative for Johnson & Johnson, and I've done that for the past 12 years, and now I just try to pass on the message of preparing for life beyond the scoreboard. So, that's me. Uh, I'm Noah Burrows, and again, i also like to thank uh, Ainsley, President um, Tailgate as well. Um, I went to the University of Buffalo. Uh, I guess I took a non-traditional route. I uh, played football all my life. Um, making it to the NFL was probably the furthest thing from my mind until my junior year of college. Um, uh, I got uh, signed with the New York Jets in 2001. And, um, you know, for me it was life. You know, I was sort of like a hopeless romantic when it came to football. And uh, I just felt, you know, it was the thing that was going to change my life. And in many ways it did. And in many ways, it uh, it put it put a dark hole in, in some of my thoughts, process, thinking about football. Um, but in large part, I would say football is probably the best thing that it's done for me because it had it granted me the opportunity to meet people like Ainsley um, and just many friends, career-long friendships that I've built that uh, I think would never have happened if it weren't for football. Um, currently, I am uh, a college coach at a uh, junior college in New York, National Community College. And um, what I try to do now is uh, I try to find kids that were in my situation and put them in a better situation, leaving Nassau, than what I was in. And I just try to make their life and their transition as easy as, and comfortable as possible. And um, the transition for me, uh, playing football, there was... Uh, there was no, there was no other thing to do for me. It was just football. Um, so, uh, uh, 2001, I was in New York. 2002, I was down in Jacksonville. That's where Ainsley and myself we met. And probably the second year that I had to deal with a nagging injury, which is why I couldn't continue to play. Uh, you know, trying to play through injuries and groin injuries, something that is just not you know, possible to, to, to even walk sometimes when you have that injury. So uh, that's basically uh, what had to change my life path, and I found it with uh, with uh, coaching and, you know, trying to help out kids and make their transition smooth as I could. All right. My name is Jim May. I went to Vanderbilt University as well. Um, I played football, and the way my career ended was, I had an agent. My agent told me I was going to start for the New York Giants as a rookie. He said there would be three rookies that started, and there were three rookies that started. I just wasn't one of them. So I remember I was sitting there, and I had my bags packed. I was going to go to minicamp, and he turned down other agent, uh, free agent offers because he wanted me to go there. And as a hot-headed 23-year-old, I said, put me on a team, or I'm done. He didn't put me on a team, so I was done. Um, I was lucky enough that my folks the entire time pushed me to get my degree early. 
and to get into graduate school. So I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to have Vanderbilt finish paying for a master's degree. After that, I went to law school, and now I'm a federal prosecutor in the District of South Carolina. Uh, my name is John Myers. I uh, played football, you know, four years at George Tech, just right down the street. Um, pretty much grew up playing football all my life. And uh, when I was at Georgia Tech, I had played multiple positions. Um, I had started at defensive back. Um, I came in as a quarterback. I played every defensive back position from corner to strong safety to free safety to wide receiver. Um, I never really could settle in on one position. So when it came time to take it to try to the next level, um, they wanted me to go back to defensive back and get experience. And they wanted me to get experience in NFL Europe. And it just was something that I just didn't have a desire to do. It was very hard um, just trying to do the NFL Europe to try to come back and, and, and get on a squad somewhere. And I knew there was life after football. And I had a really good job pretty much lined up if it didn't work out. And uh, everything's worked out. Uh, I'm a sales rep for a, a packaging uh, sheet plant here in Lawrenceville down the street and been there ever since I graduated from college. Um, I just didn't feel like the whole NFL Europe thing was the way to go and to do and I wanted to start the business career earlier than later and uh, I just had an opportunity that I could not turn down and uh, I've been there ever since and it, it's worked out for me, it's worked out for my family and uh, I have no regrets. Uh, <clears throat> uh, how you guys doing? I'm Ryan McNeil. I graduated from the University of Miami. Um, played 11 years in the NFL. Uh, fortunate enough to be pretty good. A few Pro Bowls, a few All Pros. Um, and uh, like most of you, I love football. Uh, but I was a late bloomer. Uh, I didn't play tackle football probably until seventh, eighth grade, and uh, wasn't a real quote unquote star until probably my junior year in high school. Uh, <coughs> The time was good. Um, my senior year high school, University of Miami just won the national championship. Jimmy Johnson and Bush Davis came down to talk to me and uh, wanted to get a verbal commitment on a home visit. I said no, uh, but I promised them I'll take a visit. Uh, unfortunately for me, the reason I'm telling the story is my football career almost never started. Uh, that same uh, season, it was right after my high school season, uh, they was preparing for the bowl, bowl game, the championship game against Oklahoma. Uh, my grandmother passed that same night. The only thing that kept my mind off uh, my grandmother was the, uh, the game with University of Miami and Oklahoma. Uh, long story short, I took the visit, didn't want to go to college, and I was depressed, didn't want to go to college, wasn't doing anything. My mom said, you know, you don't have to go, but you, you know, you, you shook his hand, you can be a man you were, you can go down and take the visit. Uh, I'm glad I did. Uh, the visit was a good visit. I was close to home, and uh, it was probably the best place for me. Uh, wasn't a typical Miami guy uh, that they recruited in the past. Jimmy Johnson was getting into it with uh, our president, and uh, what they tried to do was recruit 
smart football players, uh, a different type of football players. And so we was at first class, guys like Michael Barrow, Darren Smith, Young Toretta, uh, Steve McGuire. We was part of that class in 88. Um, uh, being in Miami, there's expectations. Uh, we won a national championship twice. Uh, two number ones, two number twos, one number three. Uh, lost five games in five years. So we were highly successful. And so with that, uh, you know, I like to think that we invented the word swag. Uh, so we had it. We had a lot of it. And <clears throat> when you play with uh, Cleveland Garys of the world, uh, Michael Irvins, Benny Blades, Melvin Bratton, uh, when you play with those guys on a day-to-day -day basis, you kind of compare yourself to them. Look, they made one first round, and maybe I got a chance. And so there was that expectation, uh, even from our class alone, that we were going to do quite well. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't do ourselves. Lost my senior year to Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. And uh, that's when things, from, from a football sense, changed for me. Uh, that was the first time that I expected us to win and we did. And uh, it changed. Uh, nobody in my class, and this is an unfortunate trivia that I'm letting you guys know, we were the first class to break the first round streak. I think prior to my class, it was 12, 15 years in a row, something like that. Some ridiculous number that we had a first draft pick coming from the University of Miami. Um, our class didn't have a first round draft pick. I was the first guy drafted. I was number 31, 32. I don't even remember. Uh, second round with Detroit. Hated Detroit. Uh, but uh, that's when my relationship with football had changed. It wasn't the same. It wasn't fun. Uh, it was work. And uh, long story short, I held out, finally signed. Again, I did well 11 years. But the question you asked earlier, Ainsley, <coughs> was, um, you know, why did you stop playing? Uh, I played 11 years, and the one thing I was chasing probably from my eighth year on was a, a championship ring. Uh, a lot of my friends from the University of Miami, uh, they had got there early, first, second year, third year. And, you know, we all competitive. Uh, that was the thing I was chasing. I had the opportunity to continue playing. But it was for teams that weren't any good. And uh, the thing that I could never get used to was losing. And I played on a lot of bad teams. Uh, did quite well individually, but I played on a lot of bad teams. And um, after my last year in Denver, I just didn't think I wanted to, to, go, to do that. If I'm not going to do it 100%, don't do it. You know, it's like I'm not that kind of guy. Uh, the money was good, of course, but. It wasn't just about that. So 2000, 2001, I kind of hedged my bets. I started my own company, Professional Business and Financial Network, and those guys who are my age, a little older, uh, remember that. And that was a business organization for pro athletes. So we started that back in 2000, 2001. Uh, from that was born uh, OT Magazine. Uh, we launched back in 2004. And, uh, OT Magazine was a business lifestyle guide for professional athletes. So essentially, you know, what we hear today, we kind of talked about, you know, the transition process and stuff like that. And I had an easy job. My job was to talk about 
and tell the stories of other athletes, what they're doing, why they're doing it, where they were doing it at. So uh, that kind of took a lot of the wind out of uh, uh, the things we were doing over at PBFN. So that has been our sole focus since then. And uh, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. So that's kind of, I planted that seed a long time ago. And it made the decision not to play, continue to play uh, a lot easier. Uh, and so we have OT Enterprises today, uh, a digital uh, uh, media marketing company focused on business and lifestyle and sport. And so I, I'm happy. You know, football is good for me, and uh, I still love the game. All right, how you doing? My name is Chris Calloway. Uh, I'd like to thank Ansley and Thursday Night Tailgate. And as you see, the older you get, the longer your story. <laughs> you got, a lot of you guys are young, but you know, the older you get, the longer they are. But, uh, you know, I'm from Chicago. was able to uh, come along and, and, and go to the University of Michigan, play four years there under Bo Schembechler, and was fortunate enough to get drafted to by the Steelers in 1990. Uh, played 11 years in the National Football League. Um, uh, the majority of those years were with the New York Giants, and I played seven years there, and I uh, ended up my career with the uh, New England Patriots. Uh, I stopped playing uh, because probably I got slow, and then <laughs> I didn't get any more phone calls because, you know, as you know, as, as an athlete, you're not going to just give up this game because you want to. You either give it up because you're injured or because they, you know, they're not calling anymore, and that was uh, that was the uh, that was the case with myself. Uh, they stopped calling. Uh, you know, my name was still on the board, but I didn't get any phone calls, so I just decided to retire. And you know, I always wanted to play. I always said to myself, I want to play ten years. I think a lot of a lot of guys say they want to play ten years, uh, and I think that's you know a little bit a little bit of a mistake uh, too to say you just only want to play ten years. So. But uh, you know, I was able to get t uh, 11 years, and uh, you know, I was cool with that, especially with a guy my size. Hang on a second, Chris. Never mind. Go ahead. Especially with a guy my size, you know, I, I, I had, I, I thought I had a, a, a decent career for 11 years. And, and, and when I got out of, when I, when I got out of uh, football, you know, I, I kind of wanted to keep. I kind of wanted to keep the cheering going, basically. You know, when you get out, you know, it's, it's kind of a traumatic feeling that you have. You know, you're like, what, what am I going to do now? And so you kind of, I wanted to do something. I wanted to be an entrepreneur because I didn't want to go to work for anybody. I didn't have a, you know, a finance or, uh, you know, any type of specialty degree. It was a communication degree. But so I wanted to, uh, you know, become an entrepreneur and kind of keep the cheering going, as they say. And so I, 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 I went into work for myself. I got into, uh, you know, uh, real estate, and I, I bought a club. I mean, I owned a club. I was a partner in a club, and just to try to keep that thing going. And those were all big mistakes. And uh, I don't know if we're gonna go on and talk about those things, but you know, I made a lot of mistakes uh, in my post career. Uh, transition and uh, you know I'm paying for them now and I'm trying to get you know move my way get my, get my way back up to uh, where I was and and uh, you know so my transition could be a lot better so you know learn from the mistakes and uh, you know hopefully uh, you know I can have a better second half of my career. Hi my name is uh, Ryan Ledden. Um, 
again, thank you, Ainsley, for the uh, for the invite. A um, little different story. I'll, you guys are all football. I'm a baseball guy. Uh, I was drafted uh, out of high school. Kind of a I was a good high school player, but kind of. And I knew I was going to get drafted, but I was not a high-profile guy. Um, I was kind of one of those projected future down the road guys. Um, so I get drafted out of high school by Tampa Bay. Um, that's the first draft Tampa Bay ever had. So a lot of people want to ask, you know, who did you get drafted by? This was actually at graduation. I got drafted on the day of graduation. They'd be like, who did you get drafted by? I said, Tampa Bay. I'm like, who in the world is that? <laughs> I have no idea who that is. I'm like, they're in the same league as the Yankees, the Red Sox. Anyway, obviously people know who they are now. So um, didn't think I was ready for it. So I decided to go the junior college route. Went to uh, a local junior college here, DeKalb Junior College is what it was called at the time. Now it's Perimeter, which I can't get used to either. But uh, it's Perimeter College now. Um, went there for a year and decided I was ready to go after that. Uh, so I signed with Tampa Bay, was in their organization for three years, and I was with the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates organization for three years after that. So uh, pretty similar to a lot of you guys. Uh, had I threw one pitch, um, getting ready for spring training, one pitch, and I felt my arm go. Um, and that was it. I threw the ball straight to the ground and called the trainer for the Pittsburgh Pirates and he said you need to you need to come down tomorrow, got an MRI and, and the rest is history. Um, did the full rehab back uh, and kind of similar to you guys, the phone just didn't ring and so that was it. I wanted to stay involved with the game uh, somehow so I uh, went back to school. I, I promised my mom that when my playing days were over because she cried like a baby when I signed when I was 19, she cried and cried and cried, said I was never going back to school. Looked her in the eye, promised her I was going back to school. Went back to school, went to the University of Georgia, finished my degree in education. Um, I've been teaching for the last eight years at Brookwood High School uh, in the Atlanta area in Snellville, pretty close to where Amy's at. Um, coached baseball with my brother-in-law for the last eight years, and um, things changed in the last two years. I had a, had a little girl. And my wife's a full-time veterinarian, and priorities change pretty quick. And I, I didn't get into education and teaching for the money, obviously, but when you're when you're not around your family and kids, it's tough. It's real tough. And something needed to change. Uh, so I'm actually currently I just started a job two months ago with Northwestern Mutual. I'm a financial financial rep, so I kind of do the life insurance portion as well as the investing portion as well. Um, so I've been doing that the last two months. Uh, I enjoy it thoroughly, so it's still kind of teaching. I love that part of it. I'm going to miss the game of baseball, but I'm at home with my daughter at the same time. So it's a big, big trade-off. Uh, I'll always miss the game, but I won't miss that time being with my little girl at the same time. So. Um, so I'm kind of in my third career change, just like all you guys. You just think kind of, you know, sports are going to be it, and then you hit a brick wall uh, quick. And we all have very similar stories here, um, very different stories, but very similar stories in the same. And we had to figure things out, and you had to figure them out quick. And the company I work for, I love, and they, they hire a bunch of ex-athletes because 
people who are involved in sports, you just have you have a different mindset, a different work ethic, and uh, I, I work with a ton of, of former athletes at the college level uh, and the pro level as well. So that part is a competition thing. I, I love that part about it. So uh, hopefully this career will be good for me. Um, it, it's scary because I hate change, but I'm hoping this. You know, this career will lead me into my, my next path of, of life and, and see my little girl and raise my little girl. If we have more kids, great, we plan on it. But that's the main thing is just is, is being, a, being a dad, number one. And then uh, the career will, will follow after that. Uh, my name is Solomon Brandon, and I want to thank God for letting me make it here today. And thank Angela and everybody sitting at this table. Uh, I've been pretty blessed with my career. I played 10 years in the NFL. I'm from Savannah, graduated from Morris Brown College. Uh, didn't get drafted, got drafted, really was going to play baseball. And everybody in baseball told me, said, you can't miss. I hit 455 my senior year at Morris Brown. But I, I married my wife, and she got pregnant, and I needed some money. So, God, <laughs> So, so the, in fact, I, we were playing Tennessee State, and they beat us 4-3, and I had three home runs. And the guy from Kansas City said, man, look, I got a check for you. I said, what kind of check? He said, it's a check to sign. I said, how much is it? He said, 2500 I said, man, I need that check. <laughs> I, said, I said, what do I need to do? He said, well, if you sign, I said, there's a catch in it, though. He said, what's that? I said, you can't reveal that I signed because I, I want to finish the season in baseball. He's all don't worry, we won't reveal it. So if you sign it, we'll give you the bonus and then we'll give you a contract. So I said, Okay, so I signed the next day the headline was Kansas City Chief <laughs> But lucky for me, back then the NCAA wasn't as bad, so I ended up finishing the baseball season. But I went to Kansas City, played in the first Super Bowl, left Kansas City, went to the Jets, played with Joe Namath and uh Left there, went to Cincinnati, scored the first touchdown in the history of Cincinnati Bengals. Left Cincinnati, went to Detroit. And, I, you know, my career has just been a great career. Because when I went to Kansas City, I had no earthly idea. They had 38 receivers in front of me. And everybody said, what's your name? I said, Solomon Branson. Where are you from, Mark? Oh, they're going to cut you. <laughs> I said, one thing about it, if they throw the football, I catch it. And luckily... The first thing they did, they kept guys by time, and I ran a 4-4-40, and Bobby Bell ran a 4-4-40, so we had the fastest time. And Hank Scram asked me, he said, Saul, can you run faster? I said, for what? There's nobody faster than me and Bobby. I said, if somebody runs faster than 4-4, then I run. I said, I don't want to pull. So you end up, I played wide receiver the first year, and the first exhibition game, they had uh, Abner Haynes and... Uh, Frank Jackson playing because Chris Burford had gotten hurt. So Abner got kicked out the first series for butting the guy. And so I told Hank, I said, I know y'all don't have no faith in me, but I promise you, you play me, I can play. So he put another guy out there. In the first two series, Kansas City couldn't get a first down. So one, uh, Fred Abance, who was the tight end, he said, Hank, put my buddy Saul in. I'm telling you, he's going to catch it. So they put me in. I caught two touchdowns in that game, was uh, the lead receiver, and went back and had a concussion. 
that they said if I ever play football again, I would probably die. So Kansas City told me, so you, we're going to have to release you because we don't want to have that doctor bill on our hands. And if you don't sign the release, you'll never play in the NFL. So I said, all right, signed the release and left and came back the next year. And so they said, uh, okay, we got three of uh, the first four uh, draft choices of receivers, so we want to keep you as a receiver. I said, now I'm going to defensive back. They said, you want to make the team? I said, I'll make the team. Just don't let me play what I want to play. So I made the team at cornerback. And I haven't ever thought of quitting, but I got hurt in Detroit. had a serious knee surgery. And when you, you know, when you wake up and the body say go and the mind say cool it, that's time to quit. So I knew it was time for me to give the game up. And... I'm, you know, I look back, I told my wife, who I've been married to for 50 years, I said, every every check I send you may be the last check. So I always looked at pro sports as there's no loyalty to the guy's players. So I said, if I get this check today and they get a guy that can outplay me, he's going to play and they're going to get rid of me. So I said, take these checks as if this is the last one. Unfortunately for me, I played 10 years. And when I left, I was able to go right into a business. I opened up a sporting good trophy shop. To this day, I still have it open. My kids run it. Last year, they did over half a million dollars. I don't go in there. I'm still doing what I want to do. So, you know, that's why, that's why I say I'm blessed. And we all look at our careers different. But every guy in here tell you, Every minute may be the last minute you're ever involved in sports, you know, because some things can happen you don't have control of. And it's just fortunate that we in here was able to get our degrees and was able to move on. Because if you don't get that degree, I promise you, there's no promise you're going to make it in the world. And, and, and I'm still doing things that I enjoy, so I'm blessed. Guys, my name is Reggie Kelly. Uh, my name is Reggie Kelly. Um, actually, I can't say that. I can't say that it's my privilege to to meet you since since you were I guess a, a Pittsburgh Steeler, and I'm a <laughs> former Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> <laughs> I guess today. Uh, I went to Mississippi State University, guys. Um, played there for four years. Got a degree in, in industrial technology. Left there, I was drafted in the 1999 draft by the Atlanta Falcons. My rookie year was, I think, Chris's 10th year in the league, so he's one of the old heads that kind of brought me in, right, and made sure that he policed me and taught me how to be a true professional in the game of football. After my fourth year, um, the Cincinnati Bungles, at that time, came calling. <laughs> obviously, I rebelled, didn't want to go. Uh, but my agent, Jimmy Sexton, told me that it would be a great choice. Uh, he thought that they would be on the up and up, seeing that they had just hired Marvin Lewis as the head coach. So I signed there, and that was probably the best business decision I could have made, signing with the Bengals. Played there for eight seasons. After my eight years, it says things in life always come full circle, right? Ended up coming back last year to play for the Atlanta Falcons again in my 13th year. So right now I'm not retired. I'm still a free agent, kind of like what Chris said, still waiting on that call mm -hmm. um, to see if I would get it or not. But 
I'm at, I'm at a good place right now in my life. Um, if I play again, cool. If I don't, cool. Uh, I'm extremely blessed, extremely fortunate to play 13 years. It's always been my goal, even from the first snap of the NFL game, to play 14 years. I'm one year shy of that, and I, I believe that, that that can definitely be accomplished. Um, when you think about retiring, uh, what I would like to do after I retire the game of football, um, you know, I've already made preparations for that. Um, I've written a book called Prepared Body, Mind, and Spirit, but my wife and I, we've also started a food line. Uh, we named it after our kids called Kylie. Um, soul food selections, and um, we've been getting some really good feedback from that. And so, I'm somewhat like a lot of guys. I, I tried to plan from the beginning. I had a lot of old heads that taught me the importance of making preparations for when the, foot, when the game of football is over with. And so, um, I think that writing a book and then having a school line already up and running would be a great start so that I can have a smooth transition. Uh, I still would like to stay affiliated with the game of football when I am done. Um, being an NFL coach or working in the front office. And we'll see how that pans out as well. But there are so many goals, so many aspirations that I want to continue to achieve. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank everybody for just your sincerity and your honesty with your careers, um, just like mine. Um, and before we even move forward, I think one thing that I know really helps me, and I just want to share it with you guys, because just listening to you guys, it's like I can relate to every single person in here. Like John and Jim, we actually played high school football together. Ryan and I went to high school together. So it's like this thing goes, for me, a long way back because we didn't know what would have happened. Because we were in the first state championship game at our high school at Parkview. That's now probably the most successful high school in the history of the state of Georgia. But the uh, one thing just to let everybody become aware of is this is not really a downer. Because I know the ending of something and going into what we don't know is scary. And it does put us at a, we feel a little inferior. But the one thing that just, it's always helped me that I want to share with you guys is realize your worst day, the worst day you could possibly think would be the best day for the majority of people out there. The majority of people out there have never came nowhere close to going to college for free, playing professional athletics for free, just being seen and notarized on the street, or even having their name in the paper. So, I mean, this is something that just, I just felt like just sharing with you guys that we all, there's an up and down of life, and that's just the way life goes. But the thing that we've all learned through sports to get us to where we are, if you just stay true to that, I mean, your highs off the field will dwarf whatever you did on the field. So from here, you know, you know Chris, we want to... Yeah. So one of the questions we wanted to start off the conversation with is, what's the greatest lesson your sport taught you? So when you play and you look back on it, you, know, you shared a lot of great things, Solomon. So what's the greatest thing that you learned and you take away from it? I can tell you for me is accountability. Accountability mm -hmm. because man, I, I probably grew up with no structure, no home structure. Uh, waking up at school on time, was a, it, was a, it wasn't common for me. Um, I know, I thought as a young kid I was going to be unemployable just because, you really? know, it's, yeah, it was, it's, you do what you want to do, you know, um, it, it was more of a, of a emphasis on respect but not education, not accountability, not, so, you know, in one, in one sense it was a good thing and in another it was, it was a great thing to play football because I'll tell you one thing, I, 
I was scared to miss winter workouts. I was scared to be late for a winter workout. If you're late for a winter workout, the whole team has to run. And I didn't want anyone to have to run for me. You know, at, you know, when you're the best athlete on the team, you know, they look at you as a leader. So I had to be on time. I had to be early. I couldn't go home in, some, in the summer when I wanted to. And without football, I'm, I don't know where I would be, honestly. Um, Hey, you, Yeah, I would say teamwork. Uh, in any sports, you need to rely on your teammate in order to do your job, in order in order for them to do their job, in order for you to do your job and overall have the team success. Meaning that you have to have the faith in someone else. Unlike a lot of times with entrepreneurial pursuits that we take on, a lot of times that's individual driven, so to speak. But when you have like other teammates, I mean, you have to trust in them. You have to learn how to, you know, do your job in order for the greater good of everyone else. And so teamwork, that for me, um, dealing with different diverse uh, teammates coming from different walks of life. Um, I, ha I had a linebacker coach, Norman Parker at Vanderbilt, said that football was a great equalizer where as it didn't matter what type of money you had, what type of money you come from or background or whatever, hey, we're all in the same the same together, and so yeah. teamwork for me was was a big lesson for me. Yeah. Fantastic. I think. Uh, I think for me, um, <coughs> probably the the greatest lesson that I learned was was uh, being selfless instead of being selfish. Um, um, I, I and I had to learn that, especially coming in as an NFL rookie. You know, you get drafted. Uh, you expected to come in, and, and and for me, I wanted all the spotlight to be on me. Uh, I wanted to prove myself and, and experience the fortune and fame. Um, but again, I, I came in in an era where the older guys, they policed the team. And they taught you how to be a team player. And they taught you how, I guess what you can say, they would break you down in order to build you back up. Obviously, I didn't quite understand that when I first came into the league. But slowly but surely, I understood all they were trying to do was leave the game of football better than the way that they found it. And they were trying to make sure that I was a true professional on and off the game of football, on and off the field. So through their teachings, I also learned that, you know, you're going to have your superstars on your team, uh, you're going to have your role players, and also you're going to have your garbage men. Uh, a lot of the guys who have to do the dirty work, it gets unnoticed by the public. Um, 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 you're not on Sports Center or prime time, um, but by the same token, your teammates and your peers and the coaches know the value that you have to your team. And I've always been known as that garbage man. Um, I've always been known as a guy who had to do the extra stuff behind the scenes in order to help my team succeed. Does that mean sometimes you have to sacrifice? Sure it does. But I think that's the, whenever you're going to have a truly a successful team, you need those type of players. And now, I must admit, I've, I've, I've not welcomed that position always because, hey, that's the honesty. Who wants to take out the garbage? Who wants to be a tight end in the backfield leading in on a linebacker to try to open up a hole for your running back or having to block a Michael Strahan to give the quarterback time to pass the ball? But those things are needed. You need players that are willing to go the extra mile. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to catch the ball all the time and score a touchdown, but by the same token, 
to help your team succeed. So I had to learn through a lot of trial and error how to be selfless. You get respect as a as the garbage man to people. Tons. You get tons and tons of respect from your coaches, mm-hmm. uh, from your peers, from your teammates. Because I mean, even your quarterbacks, they go the extra mile to, to throw in your bone here and there. But also when Christmas time comes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's real good. Yeah, you get 13 years worth of respect, right? <laughs> <laughs> Continual payment. Right. Yeah, for me, I think uh, it was about being competitive. I, I was always a competitive guy. Uh, growing up and through high school and what happened, but when you get to the uh, National Football League, you, you, you really have to be competitive because they, they keep bringing in and drafting people at your position. And it's like, wow, I, I, my contract is not really guaranteed, especially in the NFL. It's not guaranteed, so you have to make the team every year. And they keep bringing in receiver after receiver after receiver. You know, with me, it was Ike Hilliard and then Monty Tumor. They just kept bringing them in. And, and so I, I had to come back. And, uh, you know, compete in the offseason, go through my workouts. And I, I could have did a better job, but, you know, I had to compete every year and, and, and try to keep my job. And so what was that like for you, Chris? I mean, what, what's it like to, you know, be the guy and now all of a sudden you're drafting players yeah, in like, your same position? Oh, what, I mean, it, you, you learn that this is a business. Uh, this, this NFL is a business, and if I, don't, if I don't stay on my job, if I don't do what I have to do to, to, to stay here, then I, may, I, I won't be here anymore. So I had to, uh, you know, learn quick to, to work hard in the off season and and, and and do everything I could to uh, keep my position and keep my keep my place on the team. As you get older in the league, and you you talk about you know the the older guys trying to teach the young guys how to be a professional and whatnot. How do you how do you look at it as a guy who's been in the league eight, nine, ten years, and now they got the young guys coming in, and now your responsibility theoretically is to teach the young guys. How to be a pro and how to be in your position when I, how do you deal with that emotionally? Well, I, for me, it was cool because I, I know I, as I look at it now, the older you get, the more you realize that hey, you have to be uh, a, a mentor. You wish you had those mentors coming in the league, you know. Because for me, when it was uh, Louis Lips when I was at Pittsburgh, he he was my mentor, and and you, you have to be uh, you have to have good role models coming into the game. In order to be successful and, and in order to last long in the league, so you have to have these good, good mentors. And, and you know, we were able to uh, mentor Reggie, and, and I had my mentors coming in, and so, and I was able to mentor Amani Tuma when he came in. So that it was, it was, it was just something that was a rite of passage that you had to go through. Yeah. And, 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 and I felt I, I, I wasn't a selfish player. I was saying, oh, he's coming in to keep my, you know, take my job. Let me not teach him nothing. You know what I mean? So I was like, you know, this is what you have to do, and because I knew my work ethic, I knew that I would have to, you know, I'm gonna continue to work hard. You, you may come in thinking that you're gonna take my position, but I'm gonna work just as hard to keep my position. Ryan, what was it like for you? Years in the league, you know, you talked about how later in your career, you know, in Detroit or in Denver or whatnot, you weren't having that much fun. How was it to be, you know, the guy that maybe people were looking toward as a mentor, but inside you weren't having any fun what you were doing as it was. So that's the easy part. I mean, uh, you, you got sometimes you got to separate yourself from the team. You know, whatever's going on in your house, your mind, your life, you got to be able to separate that. When you hit the, the uh, complex doors, you know, the job, this is all about working with the job. Being on the job, it's all about winning on your teammates. I was, you know, the guys that play with me know probably from my rookie year, I was a coach. You know, sometimes they tell me to shut up, but. <laughs> it, 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 it's important for me 
because uh, competition is always always here. What I tell people all the time, you, you, never, you can't run faster than competition. It's going to be here, so accept it. And I was confident enough, uh, not cocky, but confident enough that, you know, hey, I can beat whoever it is out here that have a job each year in, year out. But the important thing was, if I knew something, uh, knew it had something on the receiver, I would share that with everybody. Hey, be ready to look for this. You know, he's just, if he stands this way, give Chris there. If he stands this way and pulls up twice, he's going inside. You know, and so that part of the game I love. I love research and analysis and stuff like that. And uh, when you sit, you know, guys down and tell them that is one thing to tell them. You finish your obligation. As, as Chris said, being an older guy, that's a, it's an obligation. You know, some guys like it, some guys don't. People talk about Brett Favre, you know, he was never, you know, you know, was warm and fuzzy uh, with Aaron Rodgers. Some guys, you know, just don't do it. To me, it's an obligation. The one thing I always tell them is like, what if? If something happens to me, I want you to be prepared to go in and we shouldn't miss a beat. And so, and always in the back of my mind, coming from the University of Miami, uh, that's how we were raised. You know, competition will always be there, but this is a team sport. You know, once you make the team and once you make the roster, uh, you know, it's all for one and one for all. And that part was it just natural for me. You know, I grew up an only child, so I looked at everybody that I played with and my brother, so it was different for you. Now, what was it like for you? You talked about how you had to play in multiple different positions. Right? So you're trying to make the team in, in every, you know, as a utility guy. You're trying to find a home in one position. What was it like for you trying to figure out that piece, and what did did that teach you something about the sport trying to be so multifaceted? It did. Um, you just kind of you do what you got to do to help the team. Um, I came in as a quarterback, and Joe Hamilton was there as quarterback, and he ended up second in the Heisman Trophy behind like Rod Bay. So I knew maybe there wasn't going to be much future there but they needed me at receiver. So I went to receiver for a year or two. Well, I got at a receiver for actually one year, and then some guys got hurt on the defensive backfield. So then the next year I'm in the defensive back trying the corner position, strong, strong safety, free safety. And I was there and started at free safety with uh, Keith Brooking. He was on the team. So I just was willing to do whatever it took to, you know, do what was best for the team. And like you said, you got to be a team player. Yeah. You know, not all the time do you want to go there and, and block Michael Strahan, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And it does teach you. I mean, one thing O'Leary was, was Coach O'Leary was very strict. And, you know, you better be doing your work and you better be doing his way or it was the highway. So... Uh, you better be in class. If you're not in class, you're going to get paid for it. You know, they always said O'Leary time. The bus is leaving at 10 o'clock. If you weren't there at 9:30, that's when he was leaving. <laughs> <laughs> you're gone. <laughs> so, you know, from time management to just the discipline to you know, doing what you're supposed to do, uh, everything has helped. You know, after the football life in life, and that's life. You transition that into your professional career. I mean, it sounds like from a work ethic perspective. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, from me being in sales. I mean, just everything from the discipline and 
um, appointment. You ain't gonna be late for an appointment. You ain't gonna show up 20 minutes late trying to make a sale. It ain't gonna happen. <laughs> so when you're there 20 minutes early, ready to go, I mean, it definitely the game of football, and, and I wasn't lucky enough to make the college just because I felt like I could not, I couldn't get comfortable with one position. I really played quarterback. I played every single wide receiver position, every single defensive back position, and I could never settle in one position. Um, I feel like probably my best chance would have been at a free safety position. Yeah. And that's where they liked me, but they wanted me to do, I mean, that was the same time that XFL. Yeah, I wouldn't about to do that. All right, we don't want to go to XFL here in the United States, we're trying to go to Europe. And I, I just felt like, you know, I had an injury to a, a planner's fasciitis. I don't know if anybody's heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, everyone around the room is nodding heads. On the foot, and when you're a receiver, and that's all you're doing is cutting, it yeah. just kills you. So... Between that and everything that was going on and the good job opportunity coming out, I mean, I just decided I did what I needed to do. I learned what I needed to do in, in, in the football to take the next level in life and yeah. the job. And, you know, like you said, you can't play football forever. I mean, playing in a league 10 years, I mean, that's unbelievable, and you do not hear that in yeah. this day and age. I mean, what's the average? Three? Three and a half? Three and a half years, yeah. right? So, I mean, that's incredible. Two and a half, man. And if I was going to make it, I had a feeling I was going to be in that two and a half, you know, section. Yeah. So, I mean, do I really bust my ass to go there for two and a half years, or do I start my career early? And uh, I couldn't be more happy where I'm at. And uh, it's worked out, and I've learned a lot, and here I am. That's great. Ryan, you're in a, you're in a room full of football players. You're the you're the, you're the baseball guy. Yeah. So, what was it like? You know, what have you taken from baseball now that you've transitioned? You know, in your life. Um, I think piggybacking on what some of the other guys have said is just that being in professional sports, the selflessness is very hard to teach. Because especially in baseball, if you do well, you get moved up. You go to the big leagues. You keep your position. What you guys are saying, it, it's very hard to teach young kids to be a team player as opposed to an individual. And, and in high school sports it's been it's been tough lately when when you got travel ball over here and you got East Cobb over here. It, it's tough to to instill that into people's mindset. And you know, we did the best of our ability. We we were pretty successful at Brookwood when I was when I was a coach, but we've had several guys that have gotten drafted. Yeah, uh, that played minor league baseball. Now that I've coached, the, the most recent one being the first round draft pick by the Braves this past year, he went to Brookwood, and just mentoring people like that and trying to instill the selflessness in those guys, it's very, very hard to do. But being being a team guy, that's that's what gets you longevity in any kind of career, whether it be business world, professional, whatever. So I'm going to miss that aspect as far as the coaching goes, but i got to take that to the business world that I'm in now and people helping me out, and I want to help them out once I become established and you know, uh, build up a clientele through sales, which you guys were talking about. So it's being a team guy, is it will carry you so much further in life than being an individual. And we've seen individuals in the headlines, and it, they just don't, they don't last. Yeah, so that's a good point. You know, 
Reggie, you talk about, you know, the guys teaching you, the older guys playing and the Chris's of the world and whatnot teaching you now. Ainsley has a coach, you know, several of you guys are coaches you know, for your sports now. When you look at the athlete today, the young kids and whatnot, and you talk about, you know, if you're a really good pitcher, you're going to go up through with the system. You don't necessarily have to depend on whether your team performed well in the minor leagues. Records immaterial. How well have you pitched? You know, how many strikeouts did you have? How many, what was your ERA? That sort of thing is going to decide if you go from A ball to double A and on that sort of thing. Do you guys notice any difference today with, is it more of a me thing? Because you guys all talk about team being important. You know, there's a lot of things about I want to be the guy on the ESPN highlights tonight, right? So I may not necessarily try to make the tackle properly. I'm going to try to make the big hit that gets me on the highlight zone, right? Because, you know, it's all about me. Do you yeah. see that more today than what you saw when you guys started out? Yeah, I was going to say earlier, too, that, um, and this can dovetail in the question, is that uh, when I came up uh, at University of Miami, he was competitive, and it was so competitive that if you had twisted your ankles, you could lose your position. So competition was there morning, noon, and night. So. You had to get used to it. Yeah, that many great athletes sitting there on the roster that everyone was pushing for your position. And but the biggest thing that I think that I observed probably from my fifth year, six year on, is that the guys that were coming into the NFL weren't tough. They weren't physically tough or mentally tough. Mm. And I think you see a lot of that now. Really? Uh, a lot of guys act out and of course when the ESPN, you know, sports center age uh, he can say it's me, 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 me. Guys want to be on the highlights and stuff like that. But I think, you know, a lot of that is a uh, deflection of not being physically and mentally tough. I mean, you know, coach, you know, uh, older guys tell you what to do. You see a lot of guys, you know, want to fuss and cuss, uh, you know, holding out for different reasons other than money. When a guy holds out for money, I understand because I do. You know, that's a business decision. Uh, but because, you know, Coach said something to me that you know, he challenged my man. Come on, really? It, it, it was like the silly things that when you hear guys tell you behind the scenes what really went on, guys aren't physically uh, and mentally tough. Guys like I'm preserving my career. I played with broken arms, you know, broken fingers and stuff like that. And it was common back in the day. You had you know, saw day. You know, it played with a whole bunch of broke bones. You know, they didn't have ACLs back in the ACL, what's that? I'm fine. I played with Benny Blades, Chris Billman. Those guys were tough. You know what I mean? And so, you know, DSS, you know, what, DSS, DMSO, the the anti Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's an older guy thing. So, you know, it's like they sacrifice so much physically to be ready to play uh, every Sunday that, you know, you, look, you think to yourself, I just got a sprained ankle. I mean, you know, surely I can get out there and try to help the team. And, uh, and, and they were, you know, so hell-bent on preparing me. So maybe that's where I get it from because I remember I held out. I didn't sign until maybe two weeks before my rookie season. We was playing the New Orleans Saints. And so literally, when I tell you literally, Chris Spielman, for the first probably half this half a year, locked me into the film room with him. I had to get there an hour and a half early, maybe six o'clock, 
we watched an hour, hour and a half film, and then after practice, we stayed for another hour. So that's what you know, I can contribute a lot of my success. Like, you know, he forced me, hey, we need you to play. What about the other rookies? I'm, you know, I was like, what about them? I'm a there. What about them? What about Greg and, and all those guys go home? No, we need you to play. You're going to focus playing. And you're going to know what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And so it was tough luck. And so I don't think the, the guys coming out, I don't think they tough enough. I mean, really, I just don't. What do you think, Sal? Well, you know, it's accountability. And when I, well, the year that the year that we went to the Super Bowl, probably everybody playing would have played for nothing because they just love football. But you and, and I don't blame the guys now because you look at it, a guy played back then. Tried to play for that team for 15 years. He didn't want to be identified like the Falcons, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Cincinnati. He wanted to be identified with the team. The owners are not loyal, so the players can't be loyal now. So, so, so you have that dis disconnect. The players this day say, "Hey, I got to take care of me. Come on, I got to get paid today. If I don't, I'm the a hole." You would have never, <laughs> you would have never done Peyton Manning the way Indianapolis did Peyton. Peyton Manning is Indianapolis, so how could the owner? He, that would have never happened in the past, but it happened. Now, them players look at it and say, "Okay, there's no loyalty." Drew Brees, he's he's he is New Orleans. How do you hold him out? If he don't sign, you can't win two games. <laughs> but look what they did to him. They took him, and so I don't blame the players now. They better take care of themselves, because guess what? Them owners don't care. It's a business. That's what it is. It's strictly a business. And it's always it's been that way. But, 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 but what I'm saying is that a guy's not going to go to the, into the game. If somebody get hurt, I'm not going into the game because he tried to talk to my girlfriend. Or, or, or you know, something silly. I mean... When you hear the, some of the silly things that you you hear, you'd be amazed. It's like they take the the toughness, the business side out of it, and this person becomes personal. I'm not doing it because uh, you know, coach came at me wrong. I'm not going in. It's, it's silly stuff, and I think that to me, my observations, everybody's like, why don't you coach? I won't coach nothing. I, I just it, it won't happen. Yeah, I think the 2012 athlete is more savvy. Uh, they're more savvy business-wise. There's more savvy as far as the long-term effects of football, the trauma that it has on the brain with all this data that they're actually accumulating now. Yeah. They know the long-term effects that the trauma is having on them. That's why you have lawsuits out there now with the NFL right. uh, or former players talking about, hey, you know what, you guys had this data. You guys didn't tell us exactly what this hit, these hits are doing to our heads. Okay, you know what? We see the amount of money that you all are making accumulatively, and that's why you had the whole um, was it the holdout or the situation, whatever it was, of one of the NFL players and the NBA. So now you have athletes with the internet, more exposure, all this stuff. You know, I have a portion. I just got to saying that teamwork was one of the greatest lessons that I actually that I learned from the game, but also being in corporate America and understanding the business side of it. Just like football, basketball, professional sports is, it's a business. You have to think independently and whether you're going to get out of out of the situation. And I think you have more athletes thinking on that level now. And now the owners, they don't necessarily like it, but it is the way it is. So I think that athletes now today, they need to think about 
you know, the short-term implications of the decision as well as the long-term yeah. implications. Yeah. Jim, talk about your profession. I mean, you you played in the trenches for four years. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about garbage people. It's the left right. guard. Right. I mean, probably in the left guard, 45 straight games for Vanderbilt. I mean, talking about never having any... There, there are no Christmas presents. <laughs> you think Jay Cutler's going to give a Christmas present? No. Um, the idea of selflessness is, is of course, is sports. Um, especially by being a lineman. I'm hands down the only lineman here. And it, it, it's just awful. There's no, there's, it, it, it's awful if you actually have any kind of... Uh, self-aggrandizement. If, if you want to see your name on a marquee, which I always did, and uh, you, you never see it, um, but the accountability of the sport. I know before some of those old hats, I know y'all didn't have film. I mean, we didn't have electricity. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Still pictures is yeah. all I could go from. Yeah, 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 get under that hood and take that black and white. <laughs> but, um, Brutal. But, but the idea of going there and ha watching film and then seeing, I was number 72, number 72 and having the coach, hey, what the hell are you doing there? And having no answer and just say, coach, I screwed up. Um, that accountability, I think, goes a long way. I mean, it goes a long way in your marriage. It goes a long way raising kids. And, I mean, in my profession, um, I'm a federal prosecutor now, but for the five years before that, I represented people who were accused of murder. And if I screwed up, they got life. Um, and there, it goes a long way to say, hey, judge, I screwed up. I should have admitted that piece of evidence. I didn't. I need to get it in. The jury needs to hear it. If they don't, they're going to convict him, no doubt. Um, so, hey, it's on me. It's not on my client. And just really fall on the sword it is the accountability that you learn when you're seventh grade, eighth grade, when you're in high school playing for Cecil Flood, right. saying that, hey, what happened on that play? Well, coach, I got trap locked. Uh, I, I was trying to make the big play, and the guard hit me in the, in the ribs. Um, learning that starting at a young age, I think really benefits you regardless of what path of life you want. Um, and I agree with you. I think the children of America are wimps. I think <laughs> I, I'm an eight, I have an eight-week-old, and I'm just terrified that he's going to be worthless because of where we're going. I mean, they don't even have two-a-days anymore. I mean, college kids don't have two-a-days. High school kids don't have two-a-days. I remember having 18 straight two-a-days in high school. And there's no more pads. There's no more pads. They don't hit. Now, I, I didn't play in the NFL, and I, I, I'm not a member of the NFL Players Association, all that good stuff. But there is there's a little bit of caveat inventory. It's, it's a legal term called buyer beware. When you go in and you make yourself a missile, you're going to have problems with your body. We all know that. For us to say that, hey, I, I wouldn't have played football if I'd known that it could potentially cause brain injuries, I, I think it's disingenuous. Now, what I think the problem is is when they were putting people back in who they knew had brain injuries. That's the problem. It's not that, hey, that, that hey, we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and just a side note, Ainsley Battles right here, he was the one who wanted to be on every sports center hit ever. <laughs> he never made a form tackle. It was completely laying out. He was... 
parallel to the ground, <laughs> trying to hit him as hard as he could. But, I don't know what this has to do with the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Just making sure that all the cards are on the table. We've got to make sure that all the cards are on the table. I mean, I've known you since, uh, since I was a... Eighth grader coming up <laughs> right to the varsity. No, we've known each other that long, yeah. And even I, along with what, I didn't mean to cut you guys off, I mean, along with everything that you guys are saying, because just being a high school coach, I actually coach JV now. So one thing that I definitely see the biggest problem is kids today are so outcome-oriented. I want to win. And the thing that I learned being a pro and in college is being process-oriented. If I take care of what I do every single day, the outcome's predictable. These kids don't understand that. They don't understand why do you practice four days a week for the game. You just want to show up on a game and play and wonder why I can't make a play, catch the ball. I don't even know what I'm doing. They have to think completely backwards. And I, well, I mean, I think that also benefits former athletes. Mm-hmm. The fact that you know that, hey, I, I, you know, it comes as a shock and you'll look at me. I wasn't a very good athlete, but I was a good football player. And it, was, it wasn't because of anything besides hard work. And to this day, I'll get to the office at 5 a.m. when I'm in trouble. I'm going to outwork everybody. And I think that's probably what most people do in sales, what they do when they own properties, whatever they do, it's about working harder. And, I mean, you own re- you say you, you have a retail shop for all private purposes. And what's the number one thing you have to do in retail? You have to be there. You have to be there and make sure you've <laughs> yeah. got what people want. Correct. And, hey, when you're the owner of a shop, guess what? Your employees may steal from you. And the way they, they're not going to steal from you is if you're there. And that's... That's just dedication, and it, I think it goes to all forms of life, but I don't think it comes easy. I think that the crucible is, is athletics. Yeah. And even along this line, because I know um, uh, my mentors that have really helped me just form my own company with SCORE, um, just giving them really a chance, because I think what we're talking about really falls in line with being athletes. We're always being coached, and part of what SCORE's organization is is they're mentors. And they're retired executives that give their time to actually help people who want to start a business, who are even thinking about a business. So if you're in business and you have something that you need help with, because you're always going to need some help. So I want to give Jeff an opportunity just really quick, just to kind of just share. You know, Thank you. Hey, but thanks for allowing us to be here sure. and to be a mentor to you. It's, it's really exciting. And, you know, the one thing here that I bet you none of you realize but each one of you has a Ph.D. You all went to college, but you have a Ph.D. Do you know, anybody here know what that Ph.D. is? Passion, heart, and desire. And everybody that we mentor who wants to go into business, we tell them if you don't have that Ph.D., Ph.D., don't go into business. Okay? Andy Wochuk is, is, is a partner, and we work very closely and we've been working with Ansley, okay? And I didn't have the opportunity, because I never was really a, a strong athlete, to be like you gentlemen. And I probably have seen many of you on TV. <laughs> but my background is I'm an edu- I was educated as an engineer. I went on and became a sales manager. I have even taught sales <coughs> management at the Keller Graduate School of Business. And what I hear from you people is, you have a mentor when you were playing football. That mentor helped you get to become successful in your daily activities as a player. Whether you were injured or not, you still had that desire to go out and play. Well, what we're talking with with Ainsley is, 
and, and maybe you, you gentlemen feel the same way here, is that you need a mentor to know what that transition is going to be. How am I going to get there? What do I need to do to get there? And the time to do that is not when it's the day that you had an accident like Ainsley did, and all of a sudden the next day says, oops, what am I going to do now? I, the one thing I hear from you gentlemen, and I've never been in, exposed to a group like this before of this many professionals, is truly that PhD that you guys have. And every one of you, if you've been successful in your career as a professional athlete, there's absolutely no reason that you can't be a professional in the rest of your life, whether it's uh, being a salesman, okay, uh, just getting out there, or you've been there for a while, you're just starting out in it, okay, uh, you're being successful because you have that desire to succeed. And it's the same thing in business. And one of the things that I've talked to Andy about is it, it's not necessary if a athlete wants whatever it is that he wants to do, he doesn't have to go into business to need a mentor. But somebody like these gentlemen who are now uh, in, not in their own businesses, but they're out there in the business world, we can help those people as well. All right? And it's very important to understand that SCORE is an organization that is nationwide. There are 11,000 people like Andy and I with all kinds of background in every major city that there's a football team in the United States. And we want to help. I know our organization has been working with the uh, NFL Retirement Group to put together a program to help these individuals. There's a terrible statistic and it, it keeps coming to mind and I hear that and that is that 50% of the professional football players within five years are on the bread line. That's a terrible number. That's because they didn't prepare themselves as they did to get to the professional aspect. They didn't prepare themselves for the rest of their life. They didn't have a mentor. Well, that doesn't have to happen anymore. Score can be a mentor, and wherever it is that you are, you're going to get we do the same thing all over the country. So, know, and when you, you talk to people, tell them to go to score.org, find somebody, and let them help you. This has been great, guys, and we're going to work more with Ainsley to help this get more going. Okay? All right. Hey, and here's the most important thing. Okay? It's all free. I know I, it's very yeah, very important to have a mentor mentorship program or whatever and, and that's you know that's kind of what I want to do after football currently you know I want to be a player in, in player development you know mm. and kind of mentor these guys that are coming in and kind of because I made a lot of mistakes right. after football and, and you know if I knew what I knew now right. the whole famous saying, uh, you know, it's very important that these guys know that, and, and, and I know they have a program with the NFL, this, this transition program that they have, 
don't know if you know anything about it. Uh, yeah, we were just talking yeah, about it. Really, yeah, I know. Yeah. It, I went to it this mm-hmm. year, and, and they had this year in Atlanta, and it's very powerful, very, very powerful. And I wish I would have, I wish they would have had it back then right. after I stopped playing two, three years. But And I, and I know Ryan went to it. Uh, and the program is great. I mean, Reggie, I don't know if you had a chance to go to it. You should, you should de- definitely look into it. And, and uh, you learn a lot about a lot of things, and a lot of things come at you. You know, they 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 put a lot of things at you, but it's very informative, and and, and I wish I would have taken part of it. But the mentorship for younger guys is very very important, and, and that's just one thing that you know I want to say before I leave because I got another appointment. But uh, it's very important, but whether it's score, whether it's whether it's uh, you know reaching back to your fellow uh, teammates and, and, and letting them know what's mm-hmm. going on, and what what they can get involved with, you know, the occupation is just another vehicle. It's, uh, it's all important for the uh, you know younger athlete. And even off of that note with Jockey Patient, it's definitely not, don't ever think of Jockey Patient as something that competes with no. the NFL and what they're doing. It's something that's going to help because the NFL can only work with football. And what Jockey Patient as a platform can do is connect basketball players, baseball players, football players, hockey players, track athletes, because you got the Olympics going on. How many people during the, the, the trials finished fourth? And you don't know if you're going to get a shot in four years. You don't know what will happen to your life in four years. But you've got, how long do they train for that one moment to come in two-tenths of a second slow? This is such a ubiquitous event that we all go through. So just everything that you're saying, definitely just want to just put it out that Josh Patient wants to work in collaboration with every sport on every level. Because everything that we've talked about today with sports, it instills stuff in us that, if we look at it the right way, guys, you should be ten times more successful off the field than on the field because your brain will last a lot longer than your back. And that's real because that's what we're starting to learn. And all the things we've been talking about, perseverance and accountability, and it doesn't matter where you start because we all know that. It doesn't matter where you start the season, where you end the season at. And it's like John was saying, that's life. I mean, everything we learn in sports is life. So, then I would just, yeah. Yeah. so now, when you kind of look back on your career and whatnot, what's the hardest part after you've transitioned from the game? What's what's the hardest you know thing you have to do without? What's the, what's the thing you miss most? Appreciation. <laughs> As a coach, it's hard to get appreciated now. You no, players no, don't no, appreciate what no, you do. No, there's a different type of appreciation. Um, the, the fan appreciation and kind of the immediate gratification for the play. I mean, you go places, you you know. You treat it a certain way, um, you're recognizable. Yeah. And uh, once you stop playing, all that's gone. Mm-hmm. I got something that's kind of off the subject, not off the subject. Ryan, the you. All right. We were in 1998 at the Gator Bowl. And like he said, you're an ankle away from your next guy taking your position. Mm-hmm. But we played Miami in 1998 in the Gator Bowl. And on their team was Ed Reed, Clinton Portis, Jeremy Shockey, Bubba Frank, Winslow, <laughs> Frank Gore, Willis McGahee, Santana Moss, Brian McKinney, Nate Webster, Al Blades, Dan Morgan, Edron James, and Reggie Wayne. Wow. <laughs> And Dorsey, who just didn't lose. And Dorsey, who the quarterback didn't lose. I think we got beat by 10 or nothing, but, I mean, that's the you. Like you said, you're an ankle away. Any of those guys can step in and play. 
just on the edge, right? You're living yeah. on the edge in that, in yeah. that scenario. Yeah, and, 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 you know, that goes back to um, what you was asking, what's the hardest transition, you know, now that we, where we are, uh, I think for me, it was easy uh, managing people. Uh, being part of a team for so long, you automatically assume everybody had, you know, the same goals, everybody had the same buttons that, hey, we want to win, we want to be successful as a business. Uh, that's not the case. The one thing I can tell people uh, when I initially started my business was the thing that I failed at was uh, expecting uh, my team, my employees, to think like I did, to work as hard as I did, uh, and to believe in the mission that we had. And that wasn't the case. Uh, I recruited a dream team of folks, folks that worked in corporate America, folks that worked for other athletes. Uh, and on paper, we were the dream team. Uh, the, the chemistry was okay, it wasn't the, the best, but everybody had different motivations. And I think that was the hardest thing for me to accept that I failed at something because it's been so successful. It's like, this should be automatic. Uh, be turnkey, uh, and it was, and for me, it was managing people. And you have to get people with mindsets like athletes. Now, I, I, you know, I don't discriminate, but I try to get uh, individuals who have athlete mindsets because they know, you know, you got to stay maybe a couple extra hours, you got to go the extra miles, and it just makes it easier for uh, me to relate to them. Uh, you know, in the office, in the corporate environment. Uh, but that, that was probably the biggest thing. And it, and it, and it costs money because you, you learn, you give everybody a grace period, you know, three months, six months, okay, they'll come around. You know, somebody's missing their boyfriend in California. <laughs> you know, somebody's upset that somebody can pay more than them. It, 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 was, it, was, it, was, it was it was crazy. And I just thought, that, man, uh, I blew that. You know, it took us probably about, you know, 18 months to, to get the right people in place uh, and uh, to, to move forward from what, what and I made the call. So to your point about accountability, you know, I hired the people. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, there was the best people, the best resumes that came through, but get that one, that one, that one. And so, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it, it affected me quite a bit because I was like, you know, I need people like myself. I need more athletes around. Yeah. yeah, to your question about what's the hardest part about the transition, for me it was like, where do I start? And if you're climbing a, a career tree, like professional sports or whatever, if you get knocked down, you get cut. For me, I just grabbed the, I grabbed the closest branch to me. And I was falling down off my career. And I just grabbed the first thing I could grab to me. It was financial services like yourself. I was a financial rep. I got trained in series. Uh, I got my series 68, uh, series 8. Started selling financial services. The reason why is because they started recruiting me before I even, like, I was in college. So that was the closest thing to me. I got close. It's like if it's raining, find shelter. Get underneath some cover. Stop it raining. Get some actual training. Build some skill sets of someone who is interested in you. You know, before, you know, they were interested in you before you were even doing you know, professional pursuits, so to speak. Yeah. You know what I mean? And also, too, I actually worked at the YMCA. I had a passion for working out with football, training. I did that. I had I, I had a um, job with them before I started pursuing my football career. 
So I went back to that closest branch, and I went back to the YMCA, got some income coming in, just to kind of hold me over till I actually formed an actual game plan. So as you're falling down from the tree of your success, grab the closest branch to you in transition as you can actually enhance the transferable skills going back to job occupation because a lot of times as you're actually in transition, you're so just disoriented because it's such a change to you. You don't know exactly where to start or what's the next step. Find shelter and actually build some skill sets and actually enhance on what you actually have already started to build on that you don't even know that you've been building as a foundation and learn how to transfer those skills over. So find shelter yeah. and grab the closest branch. So what, what's it like when you when you did have that realization it's over? Whether it, would it be an injury or you know different you know, different choice that you make in your life or whatnot. What's it like you know day one, day two, day five when you're looking and the phone has well, your phone didn't ring and whatnot and it's it's over. I, I can speak to that because um, with my injury uh, it was not clear at first what it was. So for me it was take take a few months of rehab strengthen it. And um, I just always had the belief that once I strengthened my groin that I would be able to play again. And not having football, not having my brothers, um, yeah. not having coaches, you know, teach me things, um, not doing certain due diligence, and being in the, in, in the, in the, in the perspective within football, it, it was hard. It was uh it was just being lost, and um, that's one of the things that Ainsley and I talked about is, you know, when you're an athlete, everything is sort of regimented for you, right? Yeah. You get up in the morning, you're you're in the weight room at six o'clock from six to seven, then you're watching game film, then you're out and you're you're practicing for a couple hours, then you have lunch, and you talk about two a days, and guys, right? You back out on the practice field in the afternoon, you're watching game film, then at the end of the night, and then you're you're home, but your whole day is sort of regimented. When it's over. You know, yeah, yeah. You, you're not. You know, you don't have to be yeah. somewhere. So, you know, you, someone that uh, throughout your playing days told you where to be and how to be and how to do it yeah. and whatnot. When it's over, there, there isn't. I think that. one of the good things with job patient, what it could do, is it could kind of give you your second or third occupation for whatever whatever you think you may want to transition into. Because there's some people who may not know at all what they want to do, and I think you know we, we had a conversation plenty of times about occupation and how a person can see their skills and possibly see what career can help them transition to. You know? yeah. So what was it like for you? I mean, I think that's what that's what separates and it sounds like everybody at this table has has been very, you know, successful in what they what they've done. Obviously you still you know, trying to get that you know, next year in the NFL, but I think people who transition that discipline over who don't have somebody telling you you got to do this, this, and this, and this. And I think people who just transition that over to the to the business world, those are the ones who are successful. Yeah. It's just so instilled in you that you've done that. And some guys who, and, and I've, you know, I've played with plenty of guys who are some of the laziest individuals I've ever seen in my entire life. It does not translate over into the next, yeah. into the to the business world or, or coaching world or whatever it is. It doesn't. And they're not successful. Yeah, I can imagine that's very yeah, true. I know for myself when I got hurt, you know, I actually I bought a house in Decula because it's like Ryan was saying, I'm used to succeeding. 
If I put my mind to something, it's just an injury. I just hurt myself. So I'm going to rehab. I'm going to get back. My rehab is supposed to be two years. I got it done in 18 months. I'm ready to get back. I'm ready to... So I'm planning the rest of my life. Now it's time to grow up. You buy the house in the neighborhood you want. John even came over to it. This family's been there. And so when you're talking about when it's over, it's like that house and that future that I had, that house actually started turning into a cell. Because you start learning things you own, own you. I can't leave like I wanted to anymore. And then I'm sitting in this big house by myself. Because the rest of my life, it didn't pan out the way I thought it would. Because in the past, it always did. Yeah. And so when it was finally over, I mean, real talk, I cried. I stayed inside. I didn't leave. I can remember just staying in my house. I didn't leave. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Because I felt ashamed. I felt like a failure. Because that's the first time in your life I didn't live up to the expectation I set out for myself. And I didn't know really how to handle it. And on top of that, I got the rest of my life. And I don't have a clue. So what did you do? How did how did you figure out what to do next? Yeah. Talk. And I mean, again, it's like everybody at this table, in some way, somehow, whether they know it or not, they've had an impact in my life. Because just even going over to John, because at the time, the house where I bought, John and I lived probably maybe 10 miles apart. So just being able to, because times he'd invite me over, and this time, I didn't want to leave, to be honest with you. I didn't want to leave the house. But he said, hey, come over. I was like, wow. Just being with him reminded me of life before all of this stuff happens like, you know, you're a little more than the sport. So I guess in the short answer is just you gotta connect with those people who were with you before that illusion began. Well that's a good that's a good point, Anthony. So a lot of you getting you guys played since you were kids, right? You played you you know, through being children to your teenage years in college and and some of you beyond it. But was your identity being the player? I mean I've been you know, I've been a player since I was a kid. I was always, you know, you know, I was always Ryan McNeil, you know, the football player, or you know, no. uh, you know, I, I was, you know, I, you know Ryan, well, you're always a baseball player. I mean, you're, that's your identity. Was your identity sucked up into that? And then when it was over, now what? Not for me. Uh, my parents were educators, and so they didn't play that. No. Uh, and, uh, so I was made good grades. You got chance to play football, so football has always been like the reward. Enabler. Yeah. Uh, and so, but. You know, you do well, and you build an identity. Um, one of the things I said to Mike Hughes, who was the general counsel, and he was the one doing my contract with Detroit when I was holding out, just going back and forth with my agent. And uh, so finally, uh, he said, you know, uh, why is your agent saying all this? I said, no, it's coming from me, Mike. You know, it's coming from me. And uh, I said, I want to see you face to face. To Detroit, and we thought it was going to get a good deal down. We was going up there in good faith. He's like, you know, this is our best offer. I said, that's not good enough. So, you going to turn this much money down? Uh, I said, yes. Yeah. I said, I know what I'm worth. And I said, I think I can make a million dollars with my mind, uh, more so with my body. He said, if you don't believe me, try me. And uh, needless to say, he didn't try me. I signed the contract, you know, a week or so later. But my point is, is that, um, Everybody has a different perspective on sports, you know, and as much as I prepared, and I prepared to retire, you know, not as soon as I signed my contract, but, you know, maybe a couple years after, because you don't know when you're going to retire, you don't know if you're going to blow out a knee or whatever the case may be, but it doesn't matter, what I realized, it doesn't matter how much you prepare, it still affects you, 
you know, you still go in there depression. It may not be a deep depression, but you still you miss it. And, yeah. and everybody that says that they don't, they want to. <laughs> I mean, I, I built a business on it, and it still affected me. And uh, and I think it still does. It's almost like being an addict. You know, who's addicted to the game? Yes. And each yeah. day, you know, you try to stay sober, you try to, you know, let it go more and more and more to try to focus on something else. And that's why many of us try to stay connected to sports, you know, yeah. the media space, sports media space. You know, uh, Chris said you want to do some uh, mentoring. Mentoring player uh, development. Player development. Andrew with Jockey Pace and things like that. I mean, so it, it never get out of the system. You're going to always have it there. We're going to always be athletes. Uh, most of us pro athletes. I mean, it's always going to be there, yeah. and uh, it's nothing to be ashamed of. But it's how you cope with it. And I think that's the part that we were never coached on. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. how to play cover two, how to play man to man, how to you know be a good uh, you know two technique. You know, how to block down on the on the defensive tackle. But nobody ever coached us how. You know, this is what to expect. And so, uh, NFL is doing a better job. NFL PA is doing a better job. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. It's like now, you know, we live in it now, so we can write books and tell the other young guys how to do it. Jim, what do you think? I think that one of the hardest things, I think Ryan said it earlier, I was an only child, just like he. My parents were educators, very similar. Um, was that by being an only child, your brothers are your teammates. And you have a certain level of expectation that they're going to do. There's loyalty. They're going to always have your back. And once you get out of that realm, it's not there anymore. You expect that people, I expect attorneys that I work with to have the same loyalty as I had to my teammates and that I've continued to have to my teammates and it's not there. And I mean, that's the reason why once a week I get on my cell phone and I sit on my front porch and I call the people who have that loyalty. And I think that's the hardest thing about leaving sports is the brotherhood. And I mean, we act like it's there in other things, but at least in my opinion, it's not. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've heard, I've heard other guys in England, I had this conversation as well. And, you know, you talk about how close you were to being, you know, a knee injury away from, from the team moving on or whatnot, or an arm injury away from the team moving on. Is, I got to imagine that's a very difficult emotional thing to have happen when you're hurt and you're rehabbing, but those guys have all moved on, right? You're at home trying to rehab 18 months. The Pittsburgh Steelers moved on. They won right? the Super Bowl, be honest. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't need to go there. We didn't need well, to, for you to have to say that they won without you. Know? <laughs> 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 <Well, laughs> <better. laughs> but, but at some point, whether it's injury or just you know retirement, so I mean you know you're you're you are you're a band of brothers together and you're on this thing together, right? And then you're hurt and you're at home or you're rehabbing. They're on to San Diego in the next game, right? And they're on to the next season without you. But suddenly, from having been a part of that camaraderie and that tight locker room, to now you're here and they're there, I gotta imagine that's a tough transition or a tough, you know, emotional thing to have to deal with. And even Jim, you know, you graduated Vanderbilt, and now you're on to law school and whatnot, and you're not a part of that because now Vandy and those guys that were underclassmen are playing. You know, you're off to your next year in college or whatnot, and some of your players, you know, some of your buddies went on. To pros and some are still back in college and now you're here and they're all over there. I gotta imagine that's a difficult thing mentally. You talk about depression, Ryan, whether it's you know you know a deep depression or separation not. Separation anxiety. I mean, you know, you separate from something that you've known for for a long, long time that's not there. It's, in a locker room, most locker rooms, you have you know 
uh, you know, the fixer, somebody who can fix stuff, you know, whether it's you know, radio, whatever. You have the guy who go to for advice on how to talk to girls. Advice somebody over <laughs> here to, you know, where to get stuff. You know, the guy who, you know, you know, like Lenny, you know, they always have, you know, where to get rams or uh, the hookup or stuff. So you have guys <laughs> in the locker room, and you have the guy, the conscious of the team, who who try to keep everybody out of trouble. You know, if something was to happen, you call this guy first before you call a coach or NFL security or whatever the case may be. So, I mean, that gone, it's tough. I mean, you look for that in people you work with, people who work for you. Uh, and the biggest thing is people tell you the truth. You know, on a team, you know, in a locker room, it's brutally honest. And guys will come at you straight. You know, no chaser. And you get in a business room, you're going to lie because of who you are. They want to get something from you or do business with you. And it's like, you know, they didn't need to lie. And I think that's one of the biggest things for an entrepreneur. People tell you whatever you want to hear to try to get a deal. Yeah, right. And you got to do your due diligence and things like that. In the locker room, it's like, hey, you know, it's like everybody, you know, shoot you straight. And that's probably the most, the the, 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 the thing I miss the most is the, the, the unbridled honesty. Reggie, you're you're there now, right? You're on the cusp of this, right? You yeah. you played up until this year, right? Now you're hoping to you know get get another year or two out of it. But as you sit there on you know at the line, if you will, between playing and retiring, if you, you reflect back, I mean, what is it that you know you're going to miss most about the sport? Um, I think for me, um, I'm going to miss the camaraderie, just the locker room, you know. Uh, I'm not going to miss waking up on Monday mornings, you know, barely can get out of bed, you know, limping around. Uh, I'm not going to miss that at all. I'm not going to miss the concussions or torn <laughs> thumbs and all that. Um, but I'm just going to miss just talking with the guys. Yeah. Uh, just being real with each other, having fun. I mean, hanging out together after practice, going out to eat dinner on Thursday night. You know, and then talking about, hey, man, we need you to be at this place. We need you to do this in the game now. When, when I make this call, you know, it could be a dummy call. It's just so much. I just, I just, I know I'm going to miss the guys. I guess, just to put it short, and I'm not trying to sound like a, you know, I'm not yeah. trying to sound old. But I'm actually going to miss hanging out with the fellas. Because right? that's just something you, you can't get anywhere else. Yeah, you can't I mean, replace that. You can't replace And I'm 35 years old. But I still feel like a teenager. Just hanging out with the fellas and a lot. It makes you feel young. It makes you feel energized and alive. And I think that's pretty much what I'm gonna miss the most. Oh, you had to Yeah, and and I'm sure every guy in here feels it. I, you know, I was very my first year at Kansas City, and I saw Kansas City cut guys that I knew was bidding the guys they kept. And that really pissed, that pissed me off. You know? And, and I, said, I said, you know, I thought we were trying to win. Come on. Cut guys. I, I'm looking at them. I said, this guy's a heck of a player. How could they look at But they said, man, the coach got a leg. Yes, a leg. Hell, man. I want to win. He's the best player. Well, guys got cut. And it was snowing one day. I mean, it was, I mean, if you put your foot down by it, I mean, it's snow covered. And a fan says, Saul, are we going to win this thing? And I said, what? 
He said, we going to win. I said, oh, yeah. And then I said, did you hear what he said? He said, we. I said, that guy crazy as hell. It's snowing. There's no way I would pay to come out here and sit in this. I said, I got a job. I got to do it. I said, you know who the most important guy in the stadium? It's the fans. I said, man, the hell with us. We getting paid. They paying. I said, man, can you realize? So I said, you know what? So you better start preparing. Because the day that coach don't like you, brother, you can play or not, you're gone. So I always think, try to stay a step ahead of, of that team. When they told, if they would say, saw you release, thank you. I had a great career. I would go on because I already had something planned. That's why I opened my business before I retired. I opened my business. And I, I said, you know what? I said, hey, there's a lot of guys may look at football. I said, I, I'm like him. Man, I'm 70 years old. And they'll tell you how passionate I am with farming players. That I, I never miss a monthly meeting because my thing is I love to get back with them guys, drink a beer, and talk about stuff. <laughs> so it's passionate. But when I, I say to myself, I say, Saul, you got this business. What can you do now? Help guys. Help guys. I try to help players now. My, I, I'm, I've started coaching. I've created American football at four universities in Africa. I didn't do it because I wanted to do it. I said, you know what? If this goes off, part of everything I go and tell them is you got to create the history of American football in your curriculum. And it's got to be taught by former NFL players. So we'll do it by distant learning. So I'm trying to create an avenue where guys can coach from here, go over there one or two times a year, and create jobs. I, I put four teams. In fact, next month I'm going to go to Africa, and we're going to uh, play 14, Uganda, Rwanda, Nairobi, Kenya, and Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And i got to go to West Africa, South Africa. Everybody's calling me, Saul, can you create a team? But the thing you got to see, guys got to understand, I looked at it one way. Hell, I had to get up two a day. That was tough. If I take the same energy and put it into business, what I love, I'm going to be successful. Right. And that's what we got to relate to guys. Don't think you, hey, I love football. But I, look at, I hardly look at games now. <laughs> really? I don't look at, I, tell, I go to a thousand game, we tailgate. I'll go in there for about a half a quarter and go back outside. <laughs> Man, I'm coming out here to the tailgate. <laughs> My thing is, you know, Football, I would not be sitting here with y'all if it wasn't for football. Football has got me, it got me to meet more great people and taking me more places, and I appreciate that. But hey, I don't miss it. See, like you say, I have been away on Monday, I couldn't get out of the bay. My wife and I had to take and help me and put me in the, in the tub of hot water just to be able to walk. And I'm past that now. Trust me. <laughs> I feel for the people. I tell people not. I don't think I could play again. And I love it. When I played, I love it, man. I thought shit, you had to play football every day. But if I had to do it all over again, I don't know if I would do it. <laughs> Knowing what you know now. Knowing what I know now, I really don't. But it's a great game. And and look, I got a little grandson, thirteen. He loves it. And I said, man, you're a great baseball player. <laughs> he said, man, they call, he said, he said, they called me the beast. I like the hit guy. I said, man, you better stick to that baseball. Now, he just won. They won the state. 
then went to Florida and won the World Series. He's 13. But the great thing is, he never made a grade other than an eight. And he said, he said, he said, I got to get a scholarship. Said, Man, if you keep making A's, you're going to get a scholarship. Right. But, you know, that's the thing we have to pass on to these kids. Like he's saying about his son. If we can just get him to understand, hey, don't be a follower, be a leader. And football have taught us these things. So we all are blessed to him, man. I mean, that's, we could, I promise you there's not a guy sitting here couldn't go out there and help some of these kids that got life in prison. If if they could get in front of them and just talk to them, they could change the things they're doing. But see, they don't they don't look back and say, "Help, y'all help society." They they we are wasting for what we could do to help. If I can take that for a second, um, being in the criminal justice system, the number one reason why I believe gangs are overrunning the cities is because there are not youth sports in the places where these kids can walk to. You're right. Um, Y'all have a huge ability and soapbox and ability to fellowship with these kids. I can tell you that if there wasn't a sports program where I was growing up, I would have been in a gang. Mm. I think every single one of us would have been. But there is no doubt you can go into Atlanta, you can going to New York, Chicago, where there are no sports programs, gang membership is infinitely higher than there are where there are sports programs. Mm-hmm. Um, just throwing that out there, that that's a, what, that's a huge place that a lot of difference can be made. And the problem with gangs is that they feed on the people who are, would be good athletes. People who are aggressive, people who react well, that's who goes up in gangs, and instead of being able to hit hard, they're killing kids. Just a side note of not trying to take, take this to a bad place, but that, 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 that's something that could be, that needs to happen in American cities, is for people to be able to establish these sports programs. Two, two of the things, though, about football that I, you said everything that I, that I always think of on a regular basis. You know, like I said, football, I was a hopeless romantic with football. So to me, I thought the best athlete play. That's what I thought. You know. So with that with that being the premise for me, okay, this is the goal you're trying to reach, right, Noah? Okay, let's get to it. So I, I ran the fastest for it. I benched the most. Um, you know, I don't know too many safeties that were running four three ones, you know, coming out of college and you know, when I'm, you know, I'm on NFL team uh, down up in New York. They have, we had races. So, you know, two, two eighteen. I shouldn't be running four three. Um, you know, they got me racing receivers. I'm being in receivers. And then to go a little further to actually play. You know, I'm, I'm playing in front of guys that I've seen play. You know, growing up, having to play for, you know, for the Jets, and, and and I grew up down the street, which was a uh, it was, it was it was good and bad, but you know when you when I see myself and I compete against these guys that I see play, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, I'm better than them. So you know I'm thinking it's gonna work out. I'll be here for a long time, and uh, you know, I might have a position coach. You might not like me. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a New Yorker. So New Yorkers don't supposed to be that good. I don't know what it was, but how is it different than what you thought it was gonna be? best players play. 
And and I th- you know I really believe that. I thought, you know, why didn't I? Relationships. Yeah. yeah. I don't have the best relationship with uh, my position coach. It is so cool. You were a better athlete. You were faster. You were you know doing all those sorts in, in camp, and suddenly suddenly you're not uh, number one on the depth chart. I had articles from newspaper reporters written um, daily. Yeah, they talk about the uh, accomplishments, and but it would never that would never resonate with the coach. He would never you know speak in terms of me uh, climbing on the depth charts. You know, I remember in Jacksonville. Um, you know, the NFL, they won't speak of certain things. They'll bring a they'll bring a free agent in thinking they just need a body. They can't. And when I actually got there, they, I remember uh, Perry, Perry Jewell. He said, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. We, we just brought you here as a body. But, God damn, man, we didn't know you could do all this stuff. You know, now we're trying to fit, fit you in the defensive schemes. The bad thing is that that was a good place for me, but the injury had said that. And the injury is also how I got noticed. I had to work harder, even through injuries, and and that's part of the reason how it brought um, sat me down. Cause you know I couldn't I couldn't perform. I couldn't perform because I had to. Yeah, cause I think what Noah's actually talking about, he started to explain to you why when you watched the NFL Combine on the NFL Network, oh he ran the fastest forty, and he had the best height, it was the best broad jump, he had the best this that and the other. How come he wasn't drafted? That's what he's starting to actually start to touch on and why guys will switch positions when they get to college. There are decisions being made that transcend the X's and O's on the field. And it's unless you're actually there and you've experienced it, you've gone from one team to another, you would never know. And these are kind of those insider information that actually creates that bond that we miss when we meet. Because we're... When you look at that field, when you look at that 53-man roster, everybody's replaceable. They're going to replace every one of them. They're trying to upgrade every position. Because nobody's as good as the money they're paying. And it's only the guys that are on that roster, day in, day out, practice in, practice out, competing for that spot. Unless you live it, you're the only one that can actually know it. And I think that's part of that bond that connects every single one of us. Even if you play baseball, it's the same thing. Because they got another pitcher that they didn't sign to sign him. And if he messes up, well, you better believe there's not going to be a teardrop, a night loss, a night to sleep loss, because we had to let Mr. Ledden go and bring in Mr. Smith. Business is business. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what he started to talk about. And it's really hard to kind of make sense of this, given our backgrounds, because everybody here plays because we're passionate about it. And as a business person... I think Ryan can speak to it. If you want to hire somebody who wants, who loves their job, who wants to win, yeah, that's I mean, right. I think that was, that was a big surprise. It's like, you know, <laughs> you just want to do this. <laughs> People just collect the check. It's exactly. football. That's that's the right. That's the no no. Yeah, that's the that's the yeah. yeah. The worst thing to do. You still you know right. you know uh, and and once you realize that it's like wow I, I made a mistake. I, I, I gave you more credit. Give your caption more credit than than what I probably should have. Interesting. So, thinking about life as the game ended for you, and now you're making that transition. We talk about the transition, right? So, when you look back on what you did your whole life up until the time it was to move on, 
Was there was there an aha moment or something that you, a skill, uh, an obstacle or something that that you know you had came up? This here's an obstacle that's now in front of me. I wish I had learned, or wish I had known, or I wish someone had taught me, or I wish there was a skill that I had received through the course of my whether it's college or playing career. Because now I'm here and it's over, and now I I got to get on with my life. You had to start a new business. You had to start a business. You know, was it a, a blank football, stare moment? I think football gave us skills that we didn't know about, like mm-hmm. myself. That's I, I, a great thing. Yeah, I think um, I I didn't. I was I was very spiritual. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I know I had a college degree, um, and it forced me back into football. You know, you know, I sat guys. They knew I I was. In the area, they said, "Hey, come on and help us out." Next thing you know, I'm coaching. So I mean, for me, I think you know, God pushed me back into in, into football. It was to a point where I was like, I didn't want to watch football. I didn't want to look at it. I didn't, I didn't think about it. It was, it was just a bad drug that I wanted to get off of. <laughs> but it, it pulled me back. It pulled me back, and and here I am. So how about for the other guys? I, I, I don't want to talk conversation, but this is important to me. Um, I think one of the things that we devalued during that time was uh, family and friends. Yeah. Um, I played five years in Virginia, and every year we used to compete for national tour. I can't tell you how many weddings, funerals, family reunions I missed during that five years. So you add another 11 years on top of that, uh, and you work it longer throughout the year, uh, you know, you got kind of out of touch with, you know, the most important bunch of folks outside of your teammates and family. And, you know, plenty of announcements come, went through those people who dear, dear, dear to you, you can't, you can't leave and go, uh, anniversaries. And so, you know, for me, the first few years was just reconnecting with my family. You find out who's doing what, who's married, you know, kids, you know, go to the family union. Well, those kids come from, where does such and such daughter? That's such and such son. What? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it, that to me was probably uh, something on the positive side. Uh, and you re- don't realize how much you detach uh, from family, you know, throughout that time. For me, it was, that was the case for me. Was, was there an obstacle that you came across in trying to get onto the next piece? Starting your own business is on you, right? And you got your skills that fall back on from football. But were there obstacles in front of you to try to get to a job, whether, you know, in finance, like you said, you grabbed the, the closest branch, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, for you guys, you know, particularly, you know, Jim, was there an obstacle in your way that you had to overcome because you were an athlete for so many years and now people had a, whether it was a preconceived notion that, you know, oh, you're just an athlete, you don't, you can't do this, or you don't, you don't have the skills necessary to become, whether it's a financial planner or a salesman or whatnot. Was, it, was that difficult? Well, the biggest problem as a pro athlete when you retire, everybody interview you and you tell you, you the greatest interview, you should get the job. <laughs> we can't pay you. What you mean you can't? We can't pay you. Because they figure we made so much money, they couldn't offer us a salary. I promise you, if, it, if any of y'all have interviews, that's what they tell you. They tell you, we can't pay you what you make. Hey, offer me the salary. <laughs> <laughs> make me but, but, but but that's, that's the biggest, and that's why I said, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm going to work for myself. I, don't, I interviewed several jobs, 
And Peter said, man, I want to give you the job. You you the best interview we've had. You should have it. But I can't pay you what you work. And I'm saying, what you mean you can't pay me? Just give me the money. <laughs> <laughs> but it don't happen that way. So that's been an obstacle, you know, till I finally said, hey, quit it. I'll do my own. Yeah, to that point, uh, that it has been an obstacle. A lot of times, people can be so entertained with our stories, with our athletic careers, hearing name dropping about all the people that we played with, you know, these heroic moments that we watched on TV. But unless you can translate that into a value, a win-win situation for a business, it doesn't mean anything. So that's one of the biggest obstacles yeah. as an interview. Speaking of occupation and transferable skills. You have to be able to correlate your experiences, past experiences, correlate that into actual production Here's or, what value, to you. or value for a corporation. Yeah. So getting back to your point when you talk about what an athlete experiences from a day-to-day -day basis, help that athlete to realize the processes that he's been exposed to and actually essentially almost programmed to on a day-to-day -day basis and learning how to extract that process and actually transfer it into an actual real-life job situation. Look, hey, as an athlete, look, you actually get up every morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. You get up, you go hit that workout. You go to class, you go do this and that, whatever. So why, once you stop playing, why are you going to sit back and be that athlete that's trying to get off a bad drug addict or whatever, and you're just sitting there feeling sorry for yourself? Look, set a schedule for yourself. You know what I mean? Set a schedule. Hey, have a plan for a day. You know what I'm saying? Typically, it was your student athlete advisor or your coach, weight workout room, whatever, who set this plan out for yourself. But you know what? Now you're on your own. Learn how to actually set that plan for yourself yeah. and understand the bigger picture. You know, just saying, well, hey, look, guys, we're starting week one, pre-game camp, whatever. Hey, we're, we're shooting for a championship, all right? Hey, but we need to do this today in order to get the bigger picture now. So start small and get the processes that you were talking about that normal athletes typically have. Understand the bigger picture of taking care of your family. You said you got your children running your business right now. Hey, it's not about you right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you talking about, hey, being a blessing for your children's children, biblically speaking. You know what I'm saying? Getting deeper than the actual mundane day-to-day -day activities. So if you actually help the athlete, you know what I'm saying, see the bigger picture and also knowing that transferable value, dealing with the value versus actually just doing things to be doing them, helping the athlete understand the transferable value from what you're doing now as an athlete, you know, for the past four years and what it means, not only, you know, two years, three years, five years, but generations. That's when we get deep with it, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's when we're talking about changing life, bloodlines, you know what I mean? So this, this the overstanding that this gentleman has, based off his, you know, he's seven years old, and he's talking about his grandchildren, I mean, that's deep, I mean, that's the type of understanding that if we can learn how to transfer and mentor the future athlete, that's when we're talking about changing the game. Yeah. Ainsley, what was it like for you? I mean, you, you go from being a pro athlete to an educator. You interviewed for that job. Right. What was it like for you when someone was looking at you saying, why do you want to be a teacher now? That's actually one of the things that helped me get employed. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we got um, But, uh, <clears throat> well, that's actually one of the things that Lamont was talking about, the value added. Because I tried my hand in sales in the private sector, and the one thing I would always get is you don't have any work experience. And I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean? I mean, work experience. Now, I've done something that less than one tenth of one percent of athletes do. And I've done it twice. 
And I have notes because they couldn't understand the correlation between that day-to-day -day grind of an athlete to how is that going to translate to selling their product on the market. Yeah. So part of me getting into education was I'm adding value to the school I go to because they're not going to find another professional athlete that can come in to a brand new high school and teach these kids. You'll have a lot of career coaches. These are guys who played in college, and that was it. And they're trying to, for a lot of times, just trying to relive the things they couldn't do through the kids they coach, as opposed to having a coach that comes and says, look, kid, I might be a has-been, but sure it never was. And you tell a kid that you will never get to where I'm at. I can help you get there, but, I mean, it is, it's, so it's yeah. a thing of where you're able to look a kid in his eye. Because we have kids at the school I'm at. Some kids have been offered, I mean, literally, like 37 scholarships. Every school in America wants this child to come. I'll tell the kid to his face, I'm like, listen, son, you're recruited this year. You don't pan out, they will recruit you. They'll recruit your position next year. Do not fall in love with this. They get paid to come and do so sum it all up is I add value to that school in the classroom because I'll tell the kids I've lost more money than you'll probably make in your life <laughs> with a straight face. I've been more places than you ever I've been places you didn't even know existed. So it's a life lesson that I'm able to give to these kids at this young age to give yeah. them a reality check. And like we were talking about just that blunt reality that you, the honesty you can give to somebody that it rubs them wrong and they don't like it. You get phone calls from the parents and you just tell the parents, look, I'm just being honest with the kid. Because I've had experience your parents probably haven't had. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be honest. Right. And that's, I think, a, 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 I think that's some equity or that's some skills that there is no price tag for it. So getting into education, I'm just adding value. Wherever I go, I know I can upgrade the, in the classroom and on the field because I'm giving them things and I don't know it all by any stretch I don't know it all but I'm giving you something that you cannot buy and they will not write it in the book I think what's happened at Penn State is a perfect example you got these young uh, people who've got scholarships and they wanted to go to Penn State because that's a lead into the profession and now they're not going to be in a bowl game they're not yeah. what do they do now what how do they transfer school? Is that scholarship going to transfer with them? If it's not, well, then they have to stay there in school or go do something else. So what you're saying is exactly right. They have to realize that you know it's not the end thing, and they can change tomorrow. Right. So to kind of bring all of this back together, as athletes, what's the number one thing you would tell at younger generation athletes or guys that are on the cusp of going from being an athlete to the business world. What's the number one thing you would tell them to do? Be prepared for Change. I have a number one plan be something something else besides being an athlete that you're passionate about that you can see yourself doing as a career. Interesting. Like, don't you, quit. Yeah? Don't quit. Don't quit what? There's so many people today and age that, I mean, I know just from what I hear that going gets tough, they're like, this ain't for me. It's too tough. Two days, they're too tough. You know, what, what's it going to be like there in the business world? Right. What's it going to be out there in life? Yeah. I mean, you know, perfect example, Parkview High School, Coach Flo. Yep. You know, tell me all the time these guys just can't handle 
that they've been baby, you know, all their lives, and the going gets tough, they, that gets back to what you were saying, right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think for for one thing, tell them be patient. You know, be patient with yourself. Be patient with other people. Uh, sports move at light, light pace. You know, you play on Sunday and you win, lose, draw. Uh, Monday, you working, you looking for the next game or the next competition, next. You know, so you yeah. gotta be patient with yourself. Uh, you gotta allow yourself to learn new things. Light up, make mistakes, and to uh, John's point, don't quit. Yeah, I think I think one thing is, and a lot of guys uh, kind of piggybacking on what Ainsley was saying. You know, being a being a high school coach and sitting around this table with a bunch of guys who were very successful is and going back to the, the kid who just got drafted in the first round this past year. I can, I just tell kids just to be humble. And every single person in here is with their story has been humble because more people will support you, root for you if you're humble. Yeah. Guys who are arrogant, mm-hmm. cocky. Uh, I mean, two of the probably the most. I mean, with with the accolades that you talked about and the accolades you talked about, you guys are probably the two most humble people here. Mm-hmm. Just in the however long we've been here, hour hour and a half that we've been here. Um, People will support you more if you're humble, um, and I just think that's a, a big foundation to be a part of, to, to give credit to other people that have gotten you to where you're at, and um, to be confident inwardly, but to be humble at the same time. What do you think so? Well, you, you know, you, I always say you never get to the point where you can't listen. You know, listen rather than you think they tell you right or wrong. Listen, everything I have and everything I've achieved, I can't go back and tell you one thing that somebody didn't help me get. So, you know, my daddy told me, he said, always listen because a fool can tell you something. You'll learn not to be a fool. And, you know, and, I, and I've, always, I've always kept that. And, and I listen. But there's so many things people have told me, and I look at it and I judge it for myself. And I might say, well, I ain't going to do that. But then there's things people told me, and I say, yeah, that makes sense. So I would tell the kid, don't ever get to the point you know more. Listen, you can learn. Reggie, you're, at the, you know, you're now the guy that someone's going to look to. You know, if you get to one more year, people are going to look to you to teach them how to be a pro. Right? What's, what are you going to tell them? Um, you know, when when I first made it to the NFL, um, I would say I was like an out-of-control blob, I guess, or an out-of-control wreck on the football field. I mean, I would do things, I was unorthodox, um, seemed like I was still getting the job done some kind of way, but I was just a wreck, seemed like I had no coaching or anything. You know, I would have coaching sessions with my coach, and he would be like, Good job, but I mean, <laughs> come on, son. I, I got to keep my job too. <laughs> and, and, yeah. But but then I had a receiver, man, Terrence Matthews. He played with Chris. Yeah. He pulled me aside and he said, Reggie, if you do the little things right, yeah. the big things will fall. I thought about that. What does he mean? Because I'm getting the job done. But he said, Reggie, if you do the little things right, the big things will come. And I finally figured out that I was wasting a lot of energy that didn't need to be wasted. 
uh, I wasn't paying attention to the details. And when I finally took his advice by doing the little things right, everything else just fell in place. And I found that fact to be universal, not just on the football field. Yeah. If you do the little things right, even in life, you can expect something big to happen afterwards. And that's the lesson I would tell to the younger guys. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. One thing I would tell them is don't don't be afraid to fail. Because we learn everything through mistakes. It's the only way we learn, by messing up. Because so many kids want to be perfect. I want to be this. And I don't ever want to, even coaching now, we're in like two uh, training camp or whatever, at the beginning of the season. Nobody wants to give up a touchdown. It's like, you know what, you're never going to make a play. And that's just kind of, if you're stepping on entrepreneurship, or even just signing that college scholarship, you're taking a chance. And I think the Jim's point about the Gen X generation growing up to be soft, it takes a backbone to take risks. And that's not something that can be taught to you. That's something you've got to be able to do. And I think that's something that we don't encourage kids to do is take smart risks. Not, not driving 120 on the highway. That's not a risk. That's stupid. But, I mean, just take risks. Let's say, for myself, I remember moving into the school district. I didn't know anybody. But I had a dream when I was nine years old. I was just talking to myself, how cool would it be to watch somebody go from Pop Warner football, high school, college, into the pros? That would be so cool to watch somebody go through that entire journey because that's a huge dream. And one day I turned around and I realized I'm living the dream I was imagining. And it's just, not, by no, I have my shares of mess-ups. But it's all at the end of the day. It's, there's something that happens to you when you start taking risks and you fail and you get up. And it's something in that process of failing, yeah. that's how you learn how to win. Yeah. And I think kids are too afraid to fail and be called out Therefore, they're never going to be a success and be on the top. Because at the bottom or at the top, it's still lonely, no matter how you want to look at it. And everything in this world is going to be a competition. But if you don't have a backbone or guts to try, I mean, you're going to fail 100% of the time. Yeah. Man. So, great statement. All right, fellas. Let's, yeah. let's kind of wrap things up. This, is, this has been yeah. fantastic. Really has. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for being here and being part of the conversation. Thanks for being very good. Excellent. Better than I expected. Thanks. Thanks for being open and candid and willing to share. Yes. Because it's been a great conversation. Yeah. You want to have him? Yeah, definitely has. Um, I mean, everything we talked about is exactly what I was thinking when I created Jockupation and the entire conversation we're having right now. Our platform that we've created facilitates this exact conversation, either through instant messaging, if you have webcams, uh, just leaving each other messages on your profile page. We have message boards, things like that. So I um, want to encourage, if you haven't joined, I think everybody in here has, I don't think, yeah. But if you haven't joined, please join. Um, but yeah, I mean, the entire purpose of what we're doing is trying to bridge that gap, the thing that all of us go through. And I just... I, from the bottom of my heart, I really thank every single one of you for just taking your time out just to be honest and genuine about something that was incredibly personal. Because I know it's still personal for me even talking about it right now. But just for you guys to step out and just speak up and just say, I just have my voice heard. I just I can't thank you guys enough for this. So uh, with that, I mean, I just say thank you guys. Um, Thursday night tailgate, definitely. Check it out. They're on every Thursday night, hence the name. Um, Jockupation.com. Log on. It's free to join. Um, Prime. Thank them. Mark Pensky, their staff. This entire experience has been just 
beyond whatever I could have imagined. So thank you guys. Yeah. Very rich event. Yeah. Thanks, fellas, for being here and being a part of it. Right. Thanks. Thank you. Nice meeting everybody. Yeah. 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 Yeah.